Thank you, Ruthann. Thank you, Anita, for ministering in music. In light of the message of that song, do we follow God by a blind faith or a confident faith? Dr. John Adinda, a genetic engineer at the University of Washington, says, The average human heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day, over 55 million gallons in a lifetime. This is enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps, beating 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. The human lung contains 1,000 mouths of capillaries. The process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide is so complicated that it is more difficult to exchange oxygen for CO2 than for a man shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. DNA contains about 2,000 genes per chromosome. 1.8 meters of DNA are folded into each cell nucleus. A nucleus is six microns long. This is like putting 30 miles of fishing line in a cherry pit. And it isn't simply stuffed in. It is folded in. If folded one way, the cell becomes a skin cell. If folded another way, it becomes a liver cell, and so on. To write out the information in one cell would take three 100 volumes, each volume 500 pages thick. The human body contains enough DNA that if it were stretched out, it would circle the sun 260 times. The body uses energy efficiently. If an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles per hour, it uses the energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. If a car were this efficient with gasoline, it would get 900 miles per gallon. Thinking about God, thinking about the character of God has a way of humbling us, but also bringing change into our life. Habakkuk had raised some questions to God. He had lamented to God in the beginning of Habakkuk concerning destruction and violence that was before him, that strife and conflict abounded. He said, the law is paralyzed. The Lord answered him and said, I'm going to send a nation to judge Judah. And in fact, the nation is more ungodly than Judah. So Habakkuk comes to God again and says, I have another complaint, God. How can you, you are holy, you're sovereign, you're going to use a nation more evil than us to judge us. So Habakkuk went out and he sat and he waited for the Lord to respond. And we know in chapter 2, the Lord responded to Habakkuk. And the Lord basically said to Habakkuk, I will judge Babylon in my time. So in chapter 3, we find that Habakkuk, I think, is a changed man in many ways. He seems to be much more humble. He doesn't have questions. But he does pray. He does talk to the Lord. He expresses himself to the Lord, and in his prayer, he basically talks about God. Recalling history, what God has done in history, 
And we want to read verses 8 through the end of the chapter. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your chariots, or victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you in wreath. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted up its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. The glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spirit. In wrath you strode through the earth. And in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot, Selah. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour us, the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waves. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. The cake crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Going to briefly reflect on this passage, finishing the book of Habakkuk this morning. But I'm of the conviction that as you read through Habakkuk chapter 3, it is important to take time to meditate, to think. Habakkuk is recalling history, one event after another. And if you were to go back to those passages and reflect on them, and we were to do that together as a, collectively as a body here at Roaring Brook, we could spend months discussing Habakkuk 3. The events that Habakkuk takes and recalls. And I'm in the conviction as you read through Habakkuk that Habakkuk didn't just glibly write this. He may have been weeks, even months, in meditating upon what he refers to. So my encouragement is to take time to reflect on God and what he has done in history. We'll just briefly mention them this morning in verse 8. It seems to be referring to the Red Sea experience. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? And the Red Sea experience, crossing the Red Sea, and then later on the Red Sea coming together and 
drowning the Egyptian army was a pivotal point, a focal point in Israel's history. And the chariots and the horses again seem to refer to the Red Sea. Think about Israel crossing on dry land. I don't know what the kids did or the adults did, but did they look at the wall of water and say, oh, there's some fish in there. And someone over here looked at this and said, oh, there's some fish in there. But they crossed. And then the water came together later on. Habakkuk reflecting on that. God's horses and chariots mentioned in verse 8 seem to be evidence of his powers, the Lord of hosts, the armies that he brings together, the armies in his glorious power. The wind and the storms driving back to sea, again referring to what took place at the Red Sea. He talks about bow and spear in verse 9. You uncovered your bow and you called many arrows, Selah. Uncertain as to what event Habakkuk may be referring to, but probably to the many victories that Israel had after entering the Promised Land. They crossed the Jordan River. They took Jericho and then many other places they conquered. Verse 10, probably again, goes back to the Red Sea experience. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted up its waves on high. Can't be confident, but again, Habakkuk referring to it. Verse 11, sun and moon stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, verse 11 of Habakkuk is probably referring to what took place in Joshua chapter 10. We find the children of Israel are in battle. They're in the promised land. They're conquering some of the promised land. And in verse 12 of Joshua 10, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Habakkuk, reflecting on history. The history we reflect on is Joshua leading in battle. The sun, the moon, stand still. That is quite unique. God at work for his people. In verse 12, in wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. The idea of God's wrath ties in with God 
dealing with some of the nations through Israel, pouring out his wrath, his judgment on them, as Israel was being victorious as they entered the promised land. They exited from Egypt. They went through the desert for some 40 years and then were victorious. And if you read through Joshua, you'll find many of the battles that took place. And if you stop and ponder some of the victories the Lord fought for Israel over and over again. Verses 13 through 15 speak more generally, maybe, of the Lord delivering Israel and Moses. What happened in the process? Pharaoh was crushed. His land stripped through the plagues and destruction of his army in the Red Sea. You came out in verse 13 to deliver your people to save the anointed one. You think about the ten plagues that were involved in Israel coming out of Egypt. They had a tremendous economic impact. I only mentioned three of them. In Exodus 9, 1 through 7, it talks about the livestock getting a plague. And what happened? They died. But not one of the Israelites' cattle and animals died. Having grown up on a farm and my father having 100 beef cattle, what do you think his reaction would have been if he went out one morning and all 100 were dead? A plague influencing the whole nation of Egypt. In chapter 9 of Exodus, verses 13 through 35, we find the plague of hail. And by this time, some people in Egypt were getting the idea, and some of Pharaoh's people that worked with him knew enough to bring in their cattle and bring in their servants so that the hail would not devastate them. In Exodus chapter 10, what wasn't left from the hail, we find locusts came and they ate what was left. Economic impact upon Egypt was horrendous. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, probably referring to Pharaoh. You stripped him from head to foot. God at work. And I emphasize again that Habakkuk, I don't think, merely jotted these things down and then went on his merry way. Apparently he meditated, he thought, he was challenged. God, in thinking about God, stretched him. And I would encourage you to often take time to meditate on God and his works in history. What he has done. Through the years... There have been times where a number of people and I have just taken time to talk about God and how great he is. Some of his works and what he has done and various aspects of his character. And I've always come away from those conversations humbled and challenged to draw close to God. 
What is Habakkuk's response to what is taking place in history? Notice in verse 16. A response of reverence. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. There's a reaction, if you please, on the part of Habakkuk. He's been talking to God. He's been listening. He's been meditating on God. My heart pounded. And I was beating fast and hard. His lips quivered. You ever see someone's lips quivered? Quiver because of a deep fear or reverence? Decay crept into my bones. Seems to involve a period of time. And my legs trembled. It's a reaction on the part of Habakkuk. And please keep in mind that Habakkuk's response came after questions. The Lord answering questions. The Lord answering and then meditating upon the character of God. Meditating upon the majestic work of God in history. The Lord does not always work according to our instant society. Habakkuk probably, again, has been meditating, thinking, responding for a period of time. Not instant. I emphasize the Lord does not work according to our instant society. And if Habakkuk lived in an instant society, he didn't respond according to an instant society back at that point in time either. We need to be willing sometimes to wait. I heard my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Patience in verses 16 and 17 is not a passive resignation, but an active choice to trust the Lord. Allowing him to work in his time and in his way. We can passively step back and say, well, if that's the way it's got to be, that's the way I got to be. I don't accept it. I don't see that whatsoever. It's an active choice. Habakkuk saying, I will trust God as I wait. Please keep in mind that. The timing of Habakkuk here is interesting. Habakkuk is talking to God before Babylon took over Judah. My slide's not going to the next one. 
But anyway, before 606 B.C., Habakkuk is talking to God. He raises questions. The Lord responds. The reason I say before 606 B.C. is because that was when Babylon first invaded Judah. So it was before that. Habakkuk apparently wrote before that. In 606 B.C., 596 B.C., 586 B.C., on three occasions Babylon would have defeated Judah. Judah. And it was 539 when Babylon was defeated. And Habakkuk is saying, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, I will wait patiently for 539 B.C., if you please, to come into play. How many years is that? We're talking probably almost 70 plus. I will wait patiently. Habakkuk has talked to God. He has lamented to God. He has heard from God. Now he says, I'll wait patiently. And as he waited patiently, he recognized something else was going to happen. In verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Understand that when he says the the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes in the vines, that this is something that is influencing the entire nation, going to influence Habakkuk, but Habakkuk is not the one responsible. He's been walking with God. He's been lamenting to God, experiencing the consequences the nation experiencing consequences. The land of what we call modern day Israel experiencing consequences. The fig tree does not bud. Why? Because God is judging. There's no grapes in the vines. Why? Because God is judging. Israel being in captivity. The olive crop fails. The fields produce no food. No sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Judgment is coming. Judah goes into captivity, the land is devastated. God is bringing a curse on the land. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. In the midst of devastation that is to come, Habakkuk says, I will display faith by rejoicing in the Lord. I will display faith By being joyful in God, my Savior.
in the midst of judgment, I will rest in the Lord. He goes on in verse 19, displaying a deep confidence. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He began the book by addressing the Lord. Now he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Judgment, yes. Devastation, yes. The sovereign Lord is my strength. How would you respond if you knew in the next 20 years the stock market was going to totally crash? Total economic upheaval in our country. There's going to be starvation in the U.S. And many of us are going to be transported to Iran to be lived there. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Judgment. But Habakkuk is displaying faith. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The idea here is that in spite of rough terrain that is coming, there's going to be judgment. There's not going to be figs. There's not going to be grapes. There's no sheep in the pen. Times are going to be tough. But the Lord enables me to walk steadily through those times. If you ever have the opportunity, I don't care where you go, but where you can see some mountain goats, and you might need to get your binoculars out and watch them, how they climb. You think, I can never do that. I saw a picture of a dam. You know, a dam goes you know, slightly this way. And there were goats on that dam climbing around. And I thought, ah, oh, dangerous. Where's Habakkuk coming from? In the judgment that is coming, as I wait for Babylon to be judged, I'm able to go on the heights. I'm able to navigate when there's no sheep in the pen. There's no cattle in the stall. There's no grapes. He enables me to live on. The Lord is judging. The Lord is pouring out his judgment. But yet, he's, Habakkuk says, the Lord enables me to go on. That's faith. He said earlier in chapter 2, the just will live by faith. So you pull out your wallet. Going to pull out a $20 bill. Oh, there's nothing there. Oh, where'd my credit cards go? There's nothing. Habakkuk says nothing, but I'll trust God.
faith. The Lord responds to Habakkuk. He gives answers. But faith. How many times in our culture today, in the world in which we live, are we a most demanding God that he fix something? We get a slight economic downturn and we may become alarmed. Would we trust God tomorrow or next week if the stock market collapsed, period? Because God is judging the U.S. Would we trust him? Faith. Many times in our culture today, we tend to dwell upon the love and the mercy and the grace and the compassion and the kindness of God. As a result, we fail to see and be changed by his wrath and judgment. It's part of his character also. He's judging here, but in the midst of it, Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Bringing it a little closer home, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, yes, you have some physical problems. You'll never be healed. Do you walk out of the office saying, the sovereign Lord is my strength? Job, over a very limited point of time, lost his wealth totally. And he lost his ten children. And in a sense, he's lost his wife because his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? But Job did not turn his back on God. There was a farmer in the Midwest years ago who made his living in raising grain, raising wheat, invested his money in a crop. The crop is about ready to be harvested. And a bad storm came and the father or the man and his son were standing on the porch. And the son recognized immediately that probably most of the crop will be destroyed. And the boy said to his father, Dad, what are we going to do? And the father said, we trusted God to this point. We'll trust him in the midst of the crop being destroyed. Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk knew God. Habakkuk is experiencing God. And he's finishing well. 
because he knew God. My simple question is, are we willing to live by faith in the ups and downs of life? Taking God at his word, his character and living and responding in light of that. How has the Lord spoken to you? If he has, then respond. And in the midst of a world that is up and down, in the midst of the body of Christ that has ups and downs, God continues to work. Christ continues to work because the foundation of the church is not us. It's Christ. And we want to sing about that as Travis comes to lead us. Travis?